That don't seem like there's no reason for it. There's no reason why. There's no reason I would ever want to hurt him. I wish that I had answers. Sorry. There's just no reason. There's no good reason why this happened. There's never a good reason why somebody dies like this. <laughs> that is not for me to do. But eventually those photos will come out. <laughs> Joey, we're here now. <laughs> There's just no reason I would ever want to hurt him. I need a story or else it's just cold. It's so cold. And it's going to be up to the prosecutor to paint that picture. And if you want that prosecutor, and I've met him, and you allow him to paint that picture for you, it's not going to be good. In 2008, Travis Alexander lay dead in his bathroom for five days, yet his housemates were completely unaware of his fate. His ex-girlfriend was suspect of his murder, but under investigation, she denied everything. Later, the details of her story changed, and she put herself at the crime scene. While admitting that she had killed Travis, she claimed it was in self-defense. Today, you will learn the story of Travis Alexander and his killer, Jody Arias. Hello, everyone. I hope you are doing all right. I'm Fabio Carvalho, and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. Travis Victor Alexander was born on the 28th of July 1977 in California, United States. He was the son of Gary David Alexander and Pamela Elizabeth Alexander. He had a brother named Stephen and a sister named Samantha. Travis was a very popular boy, good-looking, had many friends, religious, and he was always surrounded by many people. He was a Mormon, and at one of the church's events in 2007, he met Mary Hall and they formed a friendship. Travis worked at a company where sometimes some trips were raffled off for employees with everything paid for and with the right to a companion. Travis ended up winning a trip to Cancun in 2008 and decided to call Mary to accompany him. Despite Travis showing signs that he wanted to develop a relationship, Mary always made it clear that on her side, there would only be room for friendship. Even so, she agreed to travel with him. The trip was scheduled for the 9th of June, but approximately five days before that trip, Travis disappeared. Mary spent the days without hearing from him, and she became very worried. She called his friends, family, 
but no one knew where he was. He didn't answer any messages or any calls. Mary decided to go to his house on the 8th at night around 10 p.m. the day before the trip. The house where Travis lived was shared with two more people, Zachary Billings, Zach, and Enrique Cortez. Mary arrived at the house, knocked on the door, but nobody answered. She called a friend to explain what was going on, and that friend, along with her boyfriend, decided to go to Travis's house too. They knocked again, no answer. They ended up talking to Enrique on the phone, who gave them the password to the garage's gate. In the house, as they got near the bedroom, the three began to notice a strange smell, but they ignored it because, as the house was shared, sometimes the common areas were dirty. When they got to Travis's room, they called him, but no answer. They risked knocking on his roommate's door, and this time, Zach answered. He was kind of scared when a stranger knocked on his door, but Mary explained that she was a friend of Travis looking for him. Zach said Travis wasn't at home because he hadn't seen his friend for about one week and probably he had went to Cancun with a friend, but Mary said no. He hadn't. I'm that friend. He hasn't been contactable for a while, and I'm worried. Zach said he had an extra key to Travis's room, and they could go there to check the things out. Everybody get in, and Travis wasn't in his bed. Zach went towards the bathroom, and when he opened the door, he got terrified. He had seen a lot of blood on the walls, floor, and shower, and in there, under the shower, was Travis's body. Investigator Estevan Flores and assistant prosecutor Juan Martinez, plus some police officers, arrived at the scene around midnight. The two began to look at the room while the other policemen looked at the house. Inside the washing machine, they found a digital camera, which had been washed with some other clothes. Everyone quickly realized that if this material was there, it could be some sort of evidence that someone had tried to clean up. The police collected the camera and worked hard to try to recover the images captured by it. Investigations were ongoing and several points were checked. The house had not been broken into, and nothing in there was broken either. No items were stolen. The perpetrator could have been someone close to the victim. When the autopsy came out, it was clear that Travis had been dead for about five days. He had 27 stab wounds, a cut to the neck, and a gunshot wound above his eyebrow. Because they were able to find out which day the crime happened, the police interviewed the closest people to Travis, including his housemates, Zach and Enrique. They had concrete alibis that made the police comfortable in eliminating both as suspects. 
They also interrogated a couple called Chris and Sky Hills. Travis worked with Chris and he was close friends with the couple. One of the questions asked was if they could imagine who may have committed this crime, and both replied, Jodie Arias. Jodie was an ex-girlfriend of Travis, born on the 9th of July, 1980, in California. They dated for six months until broke up. After that, they still kept in touch as friends. Jody had converted to the same religion as Travis two months after meeting him. That's why they stayed in contact. Upon interviewing Jody, they discovered that during this relationship, Travis broke one of the laws of his religion, the law of chastity. In it, they could not have sexual relations before marriage, but Travis broke this law with Jody. She stated that she ended the relationship, but many of Travis's friends said that he was the one who did it, as their relationship was becoming progressively complicated. During their relationship, Jody lived in Southern California and Travis lived in Arizona, but when they broke up, she moved closer to him, which was a strange behavior. Despite telling everyone that he wanted her out of his life, both continued having sex. The officers started to get more suspicious of her, and so they investigated her more intensely. The police had taken DNA samples from several people during interrogations, including Jody's. On the 15th of July, 2008, Jody went to the police station to be questioned by the investigator in charge of the case, Estevan Flores. Over the last few weeks, he had pieced together a lot of evidence that led him to believe Jody was the one responsible for the crime. This interrogation would be the final step towards getting a confession. A lot of details on this case that haven't been released to, to the public and not even to Travis's family. And those details are known only by us and the person who did it. Okay, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm here, is because I believe that you know some of these details. Okay. And I think you can help us. I would love to help you in any way that I can. Okay. They spent about an hour talking, and during that time, Jody explained her history with Travis from when they met up until the moment they last saw each other that was for her in April. The officer presented her with some facts about the crime in order to get answers about the case, but Jody's responses were unclear and she never placed herself at the crime scene. Do you remember the digital camera found in the washing machine? The police were able to recover the photos. Remember I told you about the camera? It was taking pictures by mm -hmm. accident. Mm -hmm. the camera was upside down. Flash. Another time, camera flashed. It looked like it was on the ground, maybe it was kicked. But it took pictures, and it's obviously a female. Mm -hmm. And one of them was wearing those pants. Oh, I didn't even bring those pants in that shirt. So. 
And if I find those pants, is that going to make my case a little bit better? Yeah. Stephen starts showing the photos. In them, Travis was in the shower unit completely naked. The photos showed the date and time, June 4th, between 5.20 and 5.30 a.m. He also showed one picture of Jody naked on the same camera on the same date. That's you. I wanted to cover you up because oh. that's you. All of you. That looks like me. That is you. Oh, right there. Yeah, on your face. You can look at the rest of it if you want. There's a few of them. There's a few more. I'm trying not to show them because I don't want to put you out there like that to people. Not too bad. Too bad. But it's just one of the photos that was taken by accident. And this is just a small portion of it. It's your foot, Joey. These are your pants. No, it's off color because we had to enhance it and the color kind of changes a little bit. Let's try this. This is his bathroom. That is not my foot. These are your pants. It's a different color, like I said, because we have to enhance it and the color changes. It's super bad. I have both of those pants at home. If these are the same one. I don't have a zipper there, though. Not on mine. And this is a black stripe, and this is white, and the black goes around the bottom, too. There's no doubt in my mind that you were there. There's no doubt in my mind that you did this. None. So you can go until you're blue in the face and tell me you weren't there and you had nothing to do with it. I won't believe you. I want to know why. That it's killing me inside. That I don't know why. Like, there's no reason for it. There's no reason why. There's no reason I would ever want to hurt him. And since you're not giving me an explanation, I guess we'll just continue. With the, uh, I just have no stuff. reason to hurt Travis. You do have reason to hurt Travis. What would my reason possibly be? There's a whole history of you two. But and everybody knows it. I have a whole history with other guys. Why that is everybody saying that you had something to do with his death? Why is everybody saying that you are capable of hurting him? Everybody says that. I don't know why. I know so don't tell me that you're not capable. I don't even hurt spiders. I wish that I had answers. Sorry. There's just no reason. There's just no reason. There's no good reason why this happened. There's never a good reason why somebody dies like this. <laughs> that is not for me to do. But eventually those photos will come out. <laughs> Joey, we're here now. <laughs> There's just no reason I would ever want to hurt him. I need a story or else it's just cold. It's so cold. And it's going to be up to the prosecutor to paint that picture. And if you want that prosecutor, and I've met him, and you don't want him painting that picture. Because he is good at what he does. 
I've worked with him before. And you allow him to paint that picture for you. It's not going to be good. For more two and a half hours, Jody denied having any part in the crime, while waiting for another officer to arrive in the room to finalize the legal procedures, Jody's behavior was erratic. She cried, laughed, sang, did a handstand, and at one point whispered to herself, Oh Jody, you should have at least had your makeup done. She was arrested that same day, July the 15th. In her criminal record image, she smiled. The next day, the 16th, Stephen continued the interrogation and Jody changed her story. She said she didn't do anything, but she witnessed his murder. She stated Travis was killed by two people, a man and a woman, that invaded the house on the night she was there with him and that those people were the ones who had attacked him. She couldn't see anything properly because once it started happening, she hid in the closet. The woman followed her with a knife and she tried to defend herself. But once she was safe inside, the woman started to say Jody didn't need to be worried because they were there for Travis. What I just explained was a summary of almost two hours of details about her version of the events. The officer let Jody talk as much as she wanted, but her story made no sense. Stephen said he has been a police officer for a long time and Jody's story was the most absurd story he had ever heard in his whole life. It was clear to him Jody was lying. The story gained a lot of press attention in the media and Jody ended up giving several interviews from inside of the prison. In them, she confirmed her version that two people broke into the house that night and that they were responsible for Travis's death. Public defender Kirk Nurmi was responsible for Jared's defense. During the conversations, she introduced more facts to the case, which shocked everyone. Jody accused Travis of being a violent person and that he would get aroused at the idea of minors. But at this point, no one knew how much truth there was behind what she said. Over the following years, she confessed to her lawyers that she did commit the crime, but was acting in self-defense and that she would admit this during the trial, which started in January 2013. At the hearing, Assistant Defense Counsel Jennifer Wilmot tried a different approach. Jody did not always tell the truth about what happened that night. She was scared. Scared about what had happened and scared about what she had done. She had absolutely no experience 
with police interrogation before. And so when they talked to her, she wasn't always truthful. Her fear and her panic about what had happened led her to tell different stories. But you will learn that what she said, those stories, were not the truth. But most of all, what you'll learn is that Jody loved Travis. And so what would have forced her to have to take Travis's life on that awful day? In order to answer that question, we have to go back to the beginning. Back to before, just before she and Travis first met. Um, certainly on the outside, looking in, it really appeared like they were involved in a very loving and healthy relationship. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, behind the smiles in these photographs, there was a whole nother reality for Jody. A reality that Travis created. Because in reality, Jody was Travis's dirty little secret. From the moment, despite projecting himself as a good and virginal Mormon man, someone who was a temple member, from the moment he met Jody, he was pushing and pushing her to have a sexual relationship with him. Being a temple member and an executive director of prepaid legal, outward appearances would be very important to Travis. And so while he continued this facade of being a good and virginal Mormon man, he was inwardly dealing with his own sexual issues. And in Jody, in Jody, he found somebody who was easily manipulated and controlled. Someone who would provide him with that secretive sexual relationship that he needed. While on the outside, he can still pursue the appropriate Mormon woman. The jury could not believe what was happening. The defense proceeded to judge Travis. The prosecution continued to work on the fact that Jody attacked him, leading to his death in a way that did not demonstrate to have been done by a self-defense. The prosecution detailed the autopsy report, which included more than 25 stabbing wounds, a cut to the neck and a puncture wound to the forehead. The autopsy footage was brought to trial and they tried to convince the jury that the murder was cruel, heinous and premeditated, so Jody could be eligible for the death penalty. A month later, on February 4th, Jody went to the witness stand. Let me ask you a couple of important questions before we get back and start talking about who you are and why you're here, okay? Okay. Did you kill Travis Alexander on June 4th, 2008? Yes, I did. Why? Um, the simple answer is that he attacked me and I defended myself. Okay. Jody and her lawyers tried to expose Travis's dirty secrets, how he broke the rules of their religion to satisfy his sexual desires. On another day, the defense entered into a very delicate matter, 
which distressed everyone in the courtroom. The information that Travis was attracted to minors. The defense brought a recording made by Jody herself in which she could prove that her statement was true. The audio contained one of the moments when they both had phone sex. I'm not able to put the details of that recording here because the content includes words that contain urges for minors, but I can tell you that he compared Jode's moans to a 12-year-old girl. However, this argument, which probably had the intention of judging the victim, was of no use. If this was a crime Travis had committed, he was no longer alive to defend himself. If this content was used as a defense for Jody, it didn't work out either. Finally, the jury's decision was read. Jody was found guilty of first-degree murder. She cried and looked at everyone in disbelief at the verdict. A few minutes after being found guilty and weeks before the sentence was read, she gave another interview. In it, Jody said that she preferred death to life imprisonment. On the 23rd of May, the sentence was read. But pay attention now. Under Arizona law, acceptance of the death penalty must be made by an anonymous decision of the jury. The entire trial was made based on the request for the sentence, and if this was not complied, a new trial hearings would need to be held for a new direction of sentence with one more chance of requesting the death penalty. Well, of the 12 jurors, eight voted for the death penalty and four for life imprisonment. Therefore, the judgment was annulled and the prosecution decided to appeal the same sentence a second and final time. Over the course of two years, new hearings were held and on the 13th of April 2015, with a new jury, the decision came out. Eleven voted for death penalty and one voted for life imprisonment. The judge finalized the trial by making life imprisonment official without any possibility of parole. Today, Jody is in Estrella Prison in Phoenix, where she has to stay in her cell for 23 hours a day. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey, você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você... 
Venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo, a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca. Porque, afinal de contas, é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal. 